Okay. Good morning. Let's see. So I imagine in about 12 minutes, a few more people should come in that door. We can be praying for them to, to not stay away out of shame, but that they will go ahead and arrive. You want to wait for them? No, just wait for them. We are continuing our exploration through several passages of Scripture looking at, at the heart of God revealed through the prayers of Paul for those that he's ministering to, uh, not as a historical curiosity that, that we're looking at what Paul did, um, or even being amazed or impressed with what Paul did, but that we're learning from it so that we incorporate those perspectives, those goals, those truths, those, those uh, directions of spiritual pursuit in prayer on behalf of ourselves and each other in prayer. Uh, so I'm really hoping, actually, I'm really hoping and praying that some of the things we've been looking at over the past four weeks have already woven themselves in some ways into your prayers for one another, uh, for me and, and for each other, and that we would actually determine that. Father, I don't want to just see this as interesting Bible study. I want to see it as, as mind and thought and direction and priority for me in my prayer life. So as we look at uh, the passage that Kim read for us in stages one and two this morning, uh, that we would, by the way, thanks for coming up and finishing that passage, <laughs> uh, that we would determine, I want to hear some things out of this that will, that will actually show up in my prayer life this week. So one of the things that, uh, as we're looking at this passage, Here in Second Thessalonians, so we were looking at two thirteen through three eighteen, and as we have bumped into several times, the first thing we bumped into is thanks. And whenever God keeps repeating something in Scripture. That's a good wisdom for us to go, I'm really supposed to pay attention to that. I'm really supposed to pick up on that, that God keeps repeating this. And in prayer after prayer, Paul starts with gratitude for those believers. But I'd also like to, to look at not just the fact he's thankful that they're believers, but he says, I always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you. He's chosen you from the beginning for salvation. And he's revealing some things here to us that are worth pausing to notice. Chosen from the beginning through sanctification. We'll get to that in a second. By the Spirit, faith in the truth. It was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that one of the things Paul is thankful for is that he's talking to believers who were chosen. He's also thankful that he's praying for believers who were called to share in the glory of Jesus Christ. And one of the things I would, I would just like us to notice about the, the comprehensive nature of what Paul is thankful for. So here we have a timeline. Here's the very beginning. 
come back. Here's the timeline that goes into eternity. And he's saying, from the very beginning, those of you who are in Christ were chosen. But all the way into the future, you will share in the glory of Jesus Christ. And so part of our gratitude, and, and this is a hard thing for me to put into words, but, but, I, but I envisioned it really strong while I was reading the passage, that God is saying, I want you to be thankful for each other, and part of that is a vision of the magnitude of God's work in each one of your lives. The magnitude of God's work in each one of your lives. So one day, one fine day in a log cabin, you were born, and you started your life. But one, one thing God is revealing here is he's saying, long before you were born, I was active in your destiny. In fact, so long before you were born, it was at the very beginning of time. In fact, in other passages talk about before the foundations of the earth. So that God is saying, before I even created the planet, I was looking at my list of the chosen. And that recognition that I started something before earth was even created. Before Adam and Eve were created. Before Adam and Eve sinned. Before the fall. Before Israel. Before all of that. I started working on your destiny. You were chosen way back then. But it's worth now noticing what he says here. It was for this that he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oops, I'm sorry. I want to go, I want to finish verse 13. Chosen from the beginning for salvation through. I was going to shorten through to T-H-R-U, but I don't want to teach any bad spelling here because we know I spell perfectly. Through, and he does... Two things, through sanctification by the Holy Spirit. But he also says this really, really crucial, really, really crucial faith. And through faith. And many of you know the, the, the passage, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And, and we've talked about that before, that, that God is saying, everything, everything I'm going to do for you is a gift. And we've talked about this several times. Everything I'm going to do for you is a gift. How do you access that gift? Through faith. I misspelled through, but this time put up with it. Through faith. So he's saying faith is the doorway to everything I've prepared for you. And we have in Romans 8, another time we see God talking about what's, what's happening early on is in Romans 8 where he says, For all those whom God foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What did God foreknow that led to you being predestined for that transformation? And the first seven chapters of Romans are about faith. It's not a mystery what he's talking about. He keeps laying it out over and over and over again. That you and I get to say, once I have heard the truth about Jesus Christ, I get to put my reliance, my dependence on that truth applied to my life. Not just a doctrinal belief, not just a historical belief. I get to put confidence in the truth of who Jesus is and what he accomplished. I get to be confident that that truth applies to me. And when I go through that doorway of faith, I end up in the home of grace where salvation has been accomplished. And now the Holy Spirit is the one making me holy. So Jesus Christ accomplishes my salvation. And now the Holy Spirit working in you and I keeps making us holy. Now, I know I say this a lot, but God is never coming to us to condemn us. For by Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Zero. That's not what his voice is speaking as condemnation. But he's definitely speaking challenge and he's speaking honesty and he's calling for confession and commitment to growth so that you and I get to ask this very practical question. First of all, did I enter into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ? And, and I believe virtually everybody in this room, as far as I know, could say, yes, I did. I didn't think I got there because I was good enough. I didn't believe I got there because I was smart enough. I didn't believe I got there because I came from the right inheritance of, of human lineage. I got there. I entered that room of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But now here's the challenge that Paul is actually praising God for and thanking God for in those believers. And you and I get to ask it as a, as a personal challenge. Father, you know me. You know my words, you know my actions, you know my attitudes, you know my priorities, you know how I operate in public, you know how I operate in private, you know everything about me, Father. Are you delighted that I am continuing to cooperate in the process of being sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit? That I am being made holier and holier and holier. And there's, and again, this is not a mystery. Galatians 5, and 23 says, here's the, here's the mystery, so to speak, of sanctification opened up and revealed so that a five-year-old child in Sunday school can understand it. That he's saying, grow in love, grow in joy, grow in peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So sanctification is not some mysterious thing where I learned to float above the clouds of human endeavor. It's me becoming more like the character of Jesus Christ. So really seriously, this is challenging. This is humbling for each one of us that we should, we should literally be able to look back and say, Father, with you, I see that growth happening. I don't operate fully the way I did 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago or one year ago. Because there's something more of those qualities of the life and the character of Jesus Christ matured in me. 
and I, I know I say this facetiously, but only half facetiously, could I, could I give a, a little uh, survey to the people who live with me and say, have you seen me in the past year, in the past five years, in the past 10 years, have you observed me growing in love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? As we've talked about many times, that's not me in control of myself. That's me choosing the Holy Spirit in control of self. So that the, even the people around me, and trust me, I realize that many, many times the people around me are not a, um, a fair representation of the heart and the mind of God. So it doesn't mean you trust everybody's voice. But somebody around me should notice if I'm growing. Somebody around me should notice if I'm being sanctified in practical ways by the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's a challenge that you and I get to gladly accept so that we can say, Father, I'm going to be praying that for the believers I know, that they, I could be thankful for your work of sanctifying and helping them grow. But I want to be humble enough that I keep asking that question about me too and praying it for me too to keep being transformed into that likeness. Now it goes on and he says, so then brethren, stand firm. And that's a passage that is repeated frequently in the New Testament. Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now, stand firm. Stand firm basically just means don't be moved. So whether I'm standing firm against the work of the enemy, when I'm standing firm against my own laziness, whether I'm standing firm against the challenge of inertia that I just don't want to get up and, and grow and move forward, that he's saying, don't let anything move us from the position that we have been receiving in Jesus Christ. And, and so that recognition, stand firm, hold means be persistent. Be persistent in growth. So I don't let myself be moved, and I determine to keep growing. Now, one of the things that's important for this is to know where I'm standing and why it's worth standing there. So we're not going to cover all that for time-wise this morning, but that's something for us to understand. Father, if I'm going to stand firm... It might be really important that I understand what am I standing on? Where am I standing? And I'm going to go back to one thing that, that I can't remember how many weeks ago. We passed out that handout on the affirmations of the believer. It's just a variety of scriptures from the word of God that describe who you are in Christ and what's now possible for you because you are in Christ. And that that's just a good, tiny, tiny, tiny portion of, of gathering of biblical truth. But it's a good starting place to say, I can look through these, Father, and say, this is where I stand. These are the truths where I stand. I won't be moved off my identity in Christ. I won't be moved from the truth of who I am and what my life is about. 
And if a lot of people around me are trying to push me aside or, or push me back or push me onto a new path, I want to have enough immersion in the clarity of who I really am in Christ and who Jesus Christ really is in me that I recognize the push doesn't work for me. I recognize the push doesn't apply to me. I won't cooperate with that push. And not because I'm a stubborn mule, because I get it. I comprehend the amazing treasure of being who I am in Christ. And I'm not stupid enough to ever give up that treasure. I don't use the word stupid. When, when I was raising a, a child, I told her, well, honey, we never use the word stupid in this house. I'm going to use it today. It would be stupid to give up this treasure for any alternative. Okay, now throw the word stupid out and you'll have to mention it again. But that recognition of I need to comprehend where I stand and I also need to comprehend what are all the consequences of standing here. What are the eternal gains and the eternal treasures? What are the eternal rewards and the eternal honors? What are the eternal delights in Him? And I was, I was going to bring this up later in the sermon, but one of the things that I loved about what we sang, one of the songs, and I, at least for me, I think it was a new song. And it's talking about meeting Jesus. And Stephen, you may help me on what song this was. But... But then when I see him, and I'm looking into his eyes. So imagine this, seriously right now. If you were suddenly taken into the presence of God, and you looked into the eyes of Jesus. It's you. It's me. Standing there in the presence of Jesus. And what do you expect to see in those eyes? Deep disappointment. Tolerance. Okay, fine. Come on in. But what we sang, and it is biblically true, is that we would look into those eyes and we would see delight. And part of that is even what we read. I'm made holy by the work of the Holy Spirit. I am holy and I'm growing in holiness. But I have been washed clean. I am holy in Christ. And when I enter His presence... Jude even tells us that we're going to enter his presence standing straight up with great joy, unashamed. That's the welcome you would receive and there would be delight in his eyes. And I would expect that as, as long as we have at least two or more people in the room, at, at least somebody is struggling with the confidence that God would find you delightful. Somebody is struggling with the confidence that God would look at you with love. That he would be delighted to see you. And then we get to recognize everything in me that denies that is based on a lie of human evaluation. As if there is no savior. It's orphan thinking. And now you and I get to recognize that we are sons and daughters. And, and I promise, I'm sure I was, you know, all kinds of gaps and, and imperfections in doing it. But I remember one of the things that I, I got out of counseling with other families that then bled or, or fed into my determination as a dad. Was it whether Aaron does the thing that pleases me 
or whether she does the thing that disappoints me and gets her a paddling or sent to a room without supper or whatever, whether, whether I'm proud or whether I'm sad, whatever my response to her behavior, I wanted her to see that when she walked into the room, my face lit up. I determined I wanted her to see that. I still want her to see it at 35 years old. And, and not because I'm such a great father, but because I'm learning from a great father. And that you and I get to have that mindset, not just toward children, but toward all you sinners. <laughs> and this sinner, and each other, that we would recognize, I am looking on someone that has been sanctified and made holy by the, by the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm looking at someone that before the foundations of the earth, God said, I've chosen this person because I see the day, the moment, the instant in which they put their faith in Jesus Christ, my son. And long before I even launch human history, I've already written their name in the Lamb's book of life. And you guys know that, but we get to grow in the confidence of that. And Paul is expressing great gratitude for that. And then we get to anchor ourselves in deeper and deeper and deeper understanding of, Father, I need to know where I stand and why it's worth standing here so that I will not be moved. But he goes on to say this. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by, by grace. Comfort and strengthen you. And for this comfort part, make sure I get all the letters in the word strengthen. I like what he just says in verse 16. And given us eternal comfort. Now, that eternal comfort, again, is by grace. Come back. By grace. It's a gift. And you already know this, but I have to go receive comfort. But Paul is praying that they will be wise enough to go receive comfort. And he's telling them the quality of that comfort. The quality of comfort you've been offered is it's eternal. It will go on forever. But because it's eternal, it also means this. There's no breaks in it. So if I receive eternal life, I'm not alive for a year, dead for two years. Alive for seven years, dead for three years. If I've received eternal life, from this point on, I am alive and what God is saying is in every aspect of your life, no matter what you're going through physically, what you're going through medically, what you're going through financially, what you're going through in relationships, what you're going through in, in other challenges and hurts and disappointments and losses in life, no matter what you're going through, I promise you, this is a permanent fixture in your life. My comfort is available. And my comfort will strengthen you to walk. My, strengthen will, my comfort will strengthen you to persist. My comfort will strengthen you to stand firm. So what he's inviting and what Paul is praying for is go get that unbreakable, never-ending comfort every time you face loss, hurt, sorrow, disappointment, and challenge. 
Go get comfort. That's a choice. It's available. And, and actually, I'm going to jump ahead here real quick. Let's go to verse 3, 4, and, 3 and 4 for a second. He says, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord considering you, concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. So notice where the confidence is focused. So you can look at the verse and answer that question yourself. Paul doesn't say, I'm confident that you guys are the best thing since sliced bread. I'm confident that you're going to get it right. He actually points his confidence in a different direction. He says, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. That gets to be how we pray for each other. And that fits with, with a passage that, again, we hit so often because it covers a lot of territory. And it's Philippians 1.6. I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will work to bring it to a mature completion, and he will not quit until the day of Christ's return. That applies to me. That applies to you. That applies to each one we're praying for in Christ. And that's where Paul is putting his confidence. I'm not confident that you're always going to be faithful. I'm confident that God's always going to be faithful. He's going to keep working in you. And that's part of my gratitude and it's part of my intercession. That I'm putting my focus on God working in you. Now, I would bet almost everybody in this room is praying for somebody. Somebody who's not a believer to get saved. Or somebody who is a believer but who is living outside of fellowship or, or wisdom and obedience with God. And this gets to be part of our focus of prayer. What Paul is doing here is, Father, please help me to put my confidence in you instead of humans. Not in me or how persuasive I can be. Not in them and how wise they are and how absolutely determined they are to always do the right thing. Father, I want to put my confidence in Jesus Christ working on this so that my prayer is founded on a strong confidence, on a solid faithfulness that doesn't waver. And when Paul says in that Philippians 1.6 that he is faithful and, and he's committed to bring that work to a mature completion... That you and I learn a growing vision of God. Very seriously, that we learn a growing vision of God. And God, let's see if I can make... You know what, that's so sloppy. Let me see if I can erase that. Excellent. Everything works. He doesn't quit. And he doesn't waver. So there is nothing I can work on in my life. Whether, you know, I'm working on my taxes. I waver. I go, okay, that's all I can work on right now. I got to go to another room and think about other things. I quit. I waver. I get distracted. I think a good game of solitaire is in order right now. <laughs> So I know it's important to get it done, but I waver and I quit. And actually, you could look at anything in my life. I am committed to being a loving husband. 
and I waver. I get distracted. I have moments of selfishness. I have moments of sin. I have moments of some other priority sucking away my energy and my attention. And so I I trust that I am genuinely in a process of growing as a husband, but I waver even at that high priority. And my love relationship with God, what a high priority, and I waver. And here's what God's revealing about himself. He doesn't waver. Thank God he doesn't waver. That means he's focused on blessing you. He's focused on working you. He's focused on working the person you're praying for. And that gets to be part of our peacefulness and our confidence and our gratitude. His Father, the work that Jesus Christ is working on in this person I'm praying for. And, and they might be aware of you working or they might be totally denying it. But here's what I want to praise you for. You don't waver. Thank you, Father. And that that gets to strengthen us. So at the very time he's praying for all of this for them, he's already saying, my confidence is in God. Because he's the one who doesn't quit and doesn't waver. Now, I'm going to jump to the end of the passage here. Because I like this in verse 16. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. So he's still praying for them. And he says this, peace in every circumstance. And we already know this, but part of what Paul, part of what the Holy Spirit is desiring for you and I is that we would learn to not define peacefulness by circumstances. Well, Father, this was a peaceful day. Thank you for this peaceful day. Or somebody else asked me, how was your day? I was very peaceful. What does that mean? Everything worked out. Things went smoothly. And, and that's accurate. I can use a small version of the word peace to, just, to say the, the day went harmoniously. My plans were fulfilled. The next thing and the next thing and the next thing, by golly, they all happened. That was a peaceful day. But that's a small P, peacefulness. God is talking about all caps peace here. I want you and I, God's desiring this for you and I, that we would learn solid peace. And it's interesting because confidence comes into this again. Biblical peace is a solid confidence in the love in the working and purposes and the will and the blessings of God that through tears of anguish on a horrendously unharmonious day on a day when nothing went the way I was hoping it in fact we're where everything blew up and where tragedy occurred and where loss occurred and deep disappointment occurred and wrong occurred. People were evil to me. Or I look back at the day and even worse, I did evil. And that I could look at that day and say, Father, how could I possibly be at peace on this day? And God would still say, son, daughter, I want you to look at me. 
I really want you to look at me because my love is unbroken right now. Whether, whether other things hit you or whether you drop the ball and sin, my love for you is perfect and unbroken. But I also want you to see this. My promise to work through everything. My promise to work through everything. That promise is unbroken. I can work through horrible things done to you. I can work through you having dropped the ball and sinned. But if you walk with me in love and you walk with me desiring my purposes, I can even use this horrendous day for your transformation into the likeness of Christ. And it will be good for you. It will be blessing for you. God never pretends that there isn't evil in the universe. He more than anyone acknowledges there is real evil in the universe. But what he's saying is you can be at peace because you're confident that I have the sovereignty and the power, the love for you, the treasuring for you that means I can even work through real evil for the sons and daughters that love me. I can work through real horrible news coming over that phone call. I can work through discovering a despicable thing in the life of someone you love and care for. I can work through anything and you're growing a deep, stable, solid, unmovable confidence because your confidence and your vision is focused on me. That's peace. That's not human peace. It's not circumstantial peace. It's an unbreakable peace that flows from who God is and what he promises. Now, Paul also does this. I'm going to go backwards now to the beginning of chapter 3 where Paul says, finally. I like how many times Paul in a letter will say finally and then he writes two more chapters. Uh, Not that that ever happens here. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men for not all have faith. So now Paul, right in the middle of praying for them, he's saying, pray for us. And Paul, Paul has that prayer several times in Scripture. Go back to Ephesians chapter 6. And challenging us and teaching us as believers to put on the full armor of God so that we defeat the enemy and stand firm against him. Paul says this in verse 18 of chapter 6, Ephesians 6. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So he's challenging us, as we've been studying over the past five weeks here, To be in prayer for one another. But then he says this. And pray on my behalf. That utterance may be given to me. In the opening of my mouth. To make known with boldness. The mystery of this this gospel. For which I am an ambassador in change. That in proclaiming it. I may speak boldly. As I ought to speak. And so we get to pray that. We get to ask that prayer of each other. And we get to pray that for one another. That as I'm praying for you, and even if I'm praying for your your hospital thing, or I'm praying for your financial thing, or your, your job thing, or I'm praying for your 
your family member that you're concerned about, while I'm praying for that, that I would also say, and Father, I'm praying for a brother and sister in Christ, and your spirit dwells within them. I pray that you would help them to speak boldly at the right moment to proclaim the gospel. And we've talked about this many times. Not all of us are, are even supposed to be evangelists. That's a gifting for very few people. But all of us are supposed to be witnesses. And whether you're just sitting there, uh, and this, many of you know this and observed it. Uh, I loved going to the hospital to visit Al. Because Al was always on. While he was dying, he was making sure people around him knew about Jesus Christ. So he wasn't going, oh, poor me. He was actually saying, hey, do you know Jesus? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Can I pray for you? So Al lived what Paul was praying for. He spoke boldly by just being Al who loved Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I didn't sense in Al. I, and I really didn't. I didn't sense an owl like, uh-oh, I'm supposed to be a witness. Uh, excuse me, have you heard the four gospel? Uh, what's that thing called? Uh, the Roman wrote, you know, no. He wasn't nervously trying to tell somebody a thing that somebody else told him he was supposed to say. You know what he was doing. He was introducing people to someone he loved. Pure and simple. He was introducing people to someone he loved. Did he do it perfect? No. Did he do it boldly? Did he do it joyfully? Did, did he do it in love? Yes. And so I get to pray that for you, and you get to pray that for me and for one another. Father, help us to speak the gospel that we've been given. Each of us in our own gifting, our own opportunities, our own relationships, the style that you've designed for us. Help us to be witnesses who introduce people to someone we love. And every now and then... One of those people would say, I'd like to know him. Because we spoke. Now he also prays, he says that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. Go to Romans 15. If I can get there myself. Starting in verse 30. Now I urge you, brethren, Romans 15, starting verse 30. I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul was not afraid to ask for prayers for himself and for the band of men and women that were ministering with him, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints. So again, he's not just praying for rescue. He's saying that even in my rescue, that something would be accomplished that's a blessing to others. That his vision was still for the care and the protection and the ministry to the body of Christ. Now, here's one thing we know about Paul's life. God rescued him lots of times. But just as he says in, in 2 Timothy 3.11... When he, when he says, from them all, all his persecutions, God rescued him. And his rescue didn't mean that he didn't get the persecution. But tr the enemy did not triumph through those persecutions. The enemy did not pull him away from his purposes. The enemy did not pull him away from his love relationship and his faith and his walk with God. And that gets to be the main rescue that you and I pray for. 
and for each other's. Father, no matter what happens to this brother or this sister, I pray that you would anchor their souls in trusting you so that even if the bad thing still happens, they are rescued from the damage of the enemy. They are rescued from the discouragement of Satan. They are rescued to still carry out your purposes even if today's the day they die. Now, for most of us, today isn't the day we die. But for all of us, today will be a day of temptation. For all of us, today will be a day of challenge and a day of hostility from the enemy. And so we get to pray that for each other. Father, while the enemy comes against them, I'm praying that my brother or sister would triumph and be rescued from the damage of the enemy. And Father, also, I get to request this. If you can relieve their circumstance, please do so. If it fits in your will and your purposes and it accomplishes your goals, also rescue them from the circumstance. We get to pray that without apology. But what we're looking for in treasuring is the big rescue that Paul was praising God for in 2 Timothy 3.11. That he was rescued from the outcomes of the enemy even though he endured the persecutions. Well, my watch literally says 11 o'clock. I never got to this one. You know what that means? Another hour. Another hour. <laughs> Thank you that I didn't have to say it. No. But I, I really do pray this, seriously, that we would, we would listen to the things that God reveals about his heart through the heart of Paul for those that he's ministering to. And it's worth recognizing for many of these churches, many of these prayers are people that Paul went and lived with and ministered to for extended periods of time. Some he'd only heard of through other ministers. But these, these are his people. This is his flock. Every one of Paul's letters is to his flock. But he has this mindset, this, this vision of God that, Father, all of these believers are under my care. And that's something that I really believe God wants you and I learning and growing in. That I would recognize, Father, in, in my tiny little domain of influence, but my large domain of prayer, that I see the body of Christ as my flock. I see the body of Christ and other Christians I know as under my care through prayer. You don't have to be a pastor or a deacon or an elder or a Sunday school teacher. You just have to be in Christ, in the body of Christ, to grow that vision that you see this body, this body, and then other believers, you know, who don't necessarily attend here, but they're part of the body, that you'd recognize, Father, everybody you bring into my circle of awareness and love I want to see them as my flock for prayer. And that I'm jealous over your work in them. That I'm willing to change things in my life to be more effective in ministering to them. I'm willing to change my habits and my attitudes and my day-to-day -day practices so that I am more faithful and powerful and focused in praying for them. I take my flock seriously for all of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have entrusted care of the body to every single believer in this room. And Father, some may care for this body 
powerfully, effectively, in ways that no one else ever knows about because they're getting it done in their personal conversation with you. And Father, there will always be a few that have a public ministry to teach or preach or lead or, or greet or do something. But I pray that you'd be expanding our vision that we see ourselves, every one of us, we see ourselves powerfully equipped to pray from your heart for the flock that you've entrusted to each of our care. Father, help us to not be lazy. Help us to overcome lazy. Help us to overcome distracted. Help us to overcome busy. Father, we'll never get rid of busy, but that we overcome it in our commitment to do the things that you've called us to do. That we overcome busy and we overcome lazy and we overcome distracted to keep maturing in taking good care of this flock through our prayers. And Father, I thank you. You love it when we love the things you love. And Jesus, you've made it really clear that you love the body. You died for the body. And now the Father has placed you as a head over the body. And every single one of us in agreement with the head of the body, we get to care for the body in very real and practical ways. And no matter what our gifting, no matter what our ministry or role, help us to grow in your heart of prayer, Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.